This is Derek Bros. Derek Bros. Derek Bros. This is Derek Bros. The Conscious Resistance. I'm here in Standing Rock. That man is wanted in five different countries: Chile, Argentina, Brazil. We've been fighting a long time. We've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. fucking days at home. You are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. We've all stayed alive. You have no idea how important you are. Hey everyone, this is Derek Bros with the Conscious Resistance Network, and today is Tuesday, July 27, 2021, and I have a short-ish video for you today. I'm going to talk to you guys about further evidence of why you should not trust the PCR test methods, the case numbers, um, even I would say the deaths and just so much of the numbers that you're getting from the mainstream, whether you're in the U.S. or other parts of the world. But before I go further, please let me know that my audio is coming through. Okay, and I would like to remind you guys to bookmark my website, theconsciousresistance.com. This is a website I've been hosting since 2012, and we have produced over a dozen documentaries. We have several podcasts, including my podcast, The Activation. You can download my books on here. You can follow us on Float, where we're live right now. You can follow us on DLive, where we're live right now, BitChute, Odyssey, Minds, Hive. Uh, you can join my text list. You can support on Patreon. You can follow us on Spotify, Pinecast. Finally, I have a Telegram channel that I highly recommend following, and I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. But the point is, you won't notice Facebook or YouTube or Twitter on there because although I am on Facebook and Twitter, I keep getting banned on Twitter and I getting you know fact checked on Facebook. So I'm encouraging people to get the message and stop following over there if you want to follow my work. But anyways, let's go ahead and continue, guys. Everything that I'm about to cover is already on the website. You can see this post here for those who are watching on screen. It's called the PCR deception continues to crumble number two. So everything I'm going to go over here in the next 10 to 15 minutes is linked right here. You can show it to your friends and family and walk them through this just as easy as I'm about to do. I will say first, if you're curious of where that name comes from, the PCR deception, why do I say part two? Well, because I put out a documentary last October called The PCR Deception. This is about last December, excuse me. This is about two months after I got deleted off YouTube and lost 5 million views and 65,000 subscribers. And despite that, we got people all over the world seeing this documentary translated into multiple languages. If you haven't seen it, go to the Docs for Documentary tab on the website because I'm not going to go do the 101 basic everything about PCR decept about what the PCR method is and why it's flawed. But if you need to get caught up, go check that documentary. And the other thing is I've previously done this report that you'll see on screen. It's called the PCR deception continues to crumble. This was sort of an update to the film. And that was going through another study from the Lancet Journal, which also concluded what we're going to show you today, that these tests are not reliable. Uh, they're not even really tests. So if you haven't got caught up after this video, go check those two out or put it on your to-do list because I think you're going to want to watch those and share those as well. So that's why this is labeled number two. So... Let's go ahead and get into this then. I have two, three different documents to look at here. One is a, not a study. You know, I, I want to be, I want to be uh, exact in my language because I noticed that oftentimes when independent media and when folks like say just average people like us try to look into scientific studies, if we're not scientifically trained, doesn't mean you can't understand it, but oftentimes we don't use the right vernacular. So I noticed people calling study, calling things that aren't studies, studies, just because it appeared in a medical journal or a peer reviewed journal, which is worth talking about, but our language 
should be clear because the fact checkers will try to use what they can. Well, that's not a study. It's a letter to the editor or it's a, uh, you know, it's an analysis or it's a review of other studies, right? These things do matter. But the point is the information still stands. So what I'm about to show you, the first thing is not a study, but it is research done by several different doctors, several different scientists that was published as a letter to the editor in the uh, Journal of Infection. So we're going to go ahead and open this up. Now, guys, I went the extra uh, mile and I decided to pay the stupid $35 so I could have access to this. I do use websites like Sci-Hub. If you guys haven't heard about that, I'll show you that in a minute. But it's a website that you can get most studies for free. I checked all my resources. I could not get a copy of this study for free. I did find preprint versions of it that were released in May, but I wanted to make sure I had the most up-to-date information that I'm showing you guys. So this is the Journal of Infection, Letter to the Editor, Volume 83, Issue 2. And as you see, August 1st, 2021. So this is, you know, it's online already, but it's going to be published in the August edition of the Journal of Infection. You can see the one, two, three, four, five, six authors, seven authors involved in this. So it was published May 31st. They've been reviewing it the last couple months. Now it's going to be published in the actual Journal of Infection. And the interesting thing is I did notice some changes in the two versions, but at the end of the day, the, um, the message is the same, right? So it starts out, dear editor, worldwide detection and monitoring of SARS-CoV-2 infection continues to be based on the results of the real-time reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction, which is RT-PCR or just PCR for short, the RT-PCR test. A recent scoop, scoping of uh, review in this journal reported that the assessment of the diagnostic accuracy of the PCR test for SARS-CoV-2 has been less than perfect, putting it nicely. We analyzed real-world data from a large laboratory in the city of Munster, Germany, Munster, I don't know how to say it, derived from a single fully automated uh, high-throughput RT-PCR platform, blah, blah, blah. So they're basically saying they studied it. The laboratory performed about 80% of all SARS-CoV-2 PCR tests in the region during this time. We explored changes in the per uh, percentage of positive RT-PCR over time. In addition, we assessed the influence of covariates such as age, sex, calendar time, symptoms, et cetera, et cetera, on the distribution of the cycle threshold values. Again, if you don't know what cycle threshold values is, I'm going to have to say go back and watch the previous report, part one of the PCR deception continues to crumble, or just watch the documentary itself because in there I show you how I, when I was in Houston, was questioning the Houston Health Authority, Dr. David Peirce, about the cycle threshold. The cycle threshold is pretty much the key to the whole problem. So if you don't understand what that is, please go back and review that. So they go out here and they lay out their evidence, but let's just get, let's just cut straight to the point. Again, I will link these studies, the preprint version and the final version. I have a PDF. I will make it downloadable on my website. Um, but let's get to the, the meat of the matter here. And they show tables. They got tables of their, how they did the study and how they tested whether the nose or the throat. They got the age groups of people, the different calendar time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so let's get down to the bottom. Okay. Here we go. In light of our findings that more than half of individuals with positive PCR test results are unlikely to have been infectious. So that's a big finding. They said that half of the individuals with positive PCR tests in this sample size, which they used in Germany, are unlikely to have been infectious. And the reason for that is the CT value or the cycle threshold value that I just mentioned. As they write here, most positive tests in our sample showed CT values 25 or higher. So the higher you have to have the cycle, that means the less viral load or virus that there's going to be. So if they're cycling 35, 40 or higher, 
I mean, even Fauci has talked about this. And as I reported in the PCR deception, the World Health Organization, a Polish court, I mean, there's so much information out there. That's why for anybody with a brain, you can't trust these things. But of course, the TV is not going to talk about this, but it's up to you to get this information out there. Um, so the PC, it says the CT values were on average lower in symptomatic than in asymptomatic uh, individuals. Our results are similar to the observation of another survey. So let's go back here. In light of our findings that more than half of the individuals with positive PCR results are unlikely to be infectious. That means, according to these doctors, these researchers, the PCR test positivity should not be taken as an accurate measure of infectious SARS-CoV-2 incidents. I mean, that's it can't be more clear than that. They're saying, look, because half the people who are taking this test are unlikely to have been infectious, but they got positive results. We shouldn't take this thing as accurate. We shouldn't be using it. And they say our results confirm the findings of others that the routine use of PCR results as the gold standard for assessing and controlling infectious fails to reflect that quote. And this is, they're quoting a, a study from the Lancet, if I remember correctly. And this is the study that I talked about in episode one of this series here. And the Lancet said, quote, 50 to 70% of the time an individual is PCR positive, they are likely to be post-infectious, which means they, I mean, I think they're even being generous there and calling it post-infectious because they want to maintain the semblance that, well, they did have COVID at least, right, at some point. But the reality is, and this is what Carrie Mollis, the um, Nobel Prize winner who created the PCR method, uh, diagnostic method, said that, you know, you could, if you sort of abused the test or misused it, it could find anything, you know, you could cycle all the way high and then you might, maybe you had a coronavirus since coronaviruses are actually quite common. Maybe you had a coronavirus and a past infection, nothing to do with COVID-1984, but the PCR is detecting that. So they go on to say asymptomatic individuals with positive PCR results have higher CT values and a lower probability of being infectious than symptomatic individuals with positive results. Uh, asymptomatic individuals. And remember, this was like a big thing back in the day. You guys might remember all the way back in 2020, 10 years ago, where one of the women from the World Health Organization, um, she actually came out one day, she made a statement and said, oh, asymptomatic people aren't going to be the cause of the spread. And she got attacked for it. And then basically she, you know, they had her recant and walk back the statement. But at one point, the World Health Organization did say that asymptomatic individuals and other people have concluded this as well, that asymptomatic individuals are not the cause of COVID spreading around. So when they say asymptomatic individuals with positive PCR results have higher CT values and a lower probability of being infectious. So what they're saying is people who have no symptoms, but have a positive test with higher CT values, which is what most of the country, the world are using, then their lower probability of being infectious. Okay, that's scientific talk for saying these people aren't sick. Then the si symptomatic individuals with positive results, and that means like, okay, if somebody, you know, sometimes I'll I had friends recently say, oh, I go, I got COVID, and I always ask, well, what do you mean? Are you feeling sick, or did you just get a test because you had to get a test for work or something? Sometimes people are like, oh, I got sick first, and this is crazy. I've never felt like this, and so I went and got a test, and it confirmed it. Right? Those are the symptomatic individuals with positive results. You can probably you know, conclude they're sick with something. And the people who are like, okay, they're not sick in any way, but they have a positive test and higher uh, cycle threshold values more than likely are not sick at all. So it says, although cycle threshold values have been shown to be inversely associated with viral load, there is no, and this is the big part. This is what I was told by Dr. David Peirce in Houston, Texas. And I, to this, when he told me this, in which this Journal of Infection is concluding in July, 2021, when I, he told me this last year, when I released this documentary, is that 
yeah, there's no international standard for cycle threshold value. So some labs might do a cycle 40, some might do 20, whatever. It's all over the place. So there's no, there's no standardized anything. So you can't really trust it. And that's why it's important when you're being tested, guys, if you are forced to be test, tested and you have to, to travel for work, school, et cetera, you need to know what the what labs they're working with and ask the labs, contact them and ask them what cycle threshold value are you using for the PCR? Because it's probably pretty meaningless and not conclusive and not shouldn't be determined, you know, whether or not you have something or anything at all. So they say here, there is no international standardization across laboratories, rendering problematic the interpretation of PCR tests when used as a tool for mass screening. Again, that's putting it pretty like gingerly, like they're not coming out too bold. They're scientists. So this is just published. It was published a couple months ago, but now it's going to be published in the actual journal this month after it was reviewed. I want to go now and show you the preprint version of this. Because remember, like I said, this was originally published in May 2021. This is a preprint version. If you see, it's hard. I know it's hard to see on the top of the screen, but it says this version posted May to May 11, 2021. Uh, it is a preprint version, and that means it had it hadn't been peer reviewed at that point. Although it's just a letter to the editor, it needed to be still peer reviewed. You, peer reviewed. You can see here at the, uh, the bottom of the screen, note, the preprint report news research has not been certified by peer reviewed and should not be used to guide clinical practice. That's why I hadn't reported on this yet um, when I first saw it because I wanted it to get reviewed. But what I do want to show you guys is that actually they cut out quite a bit from this. The, like, for example, the way they did this, I don't know if it's, this is just standard procedure, but they have their objectives, their methods, their results and conclusions placed really simply here. And just look at their conclusion. PCR testing as a tool for mass screening should not be used as a basis for pandemic decision-making, including measures such as quarantine, isolation, and lockdown. That's super clear, but they changed it for the final thing. Either way, let's go down to the conclusion. Hope I don't make you sick with the scrolling. Um, where's the conclusion right here? Okay. After all the tables. I just wanted to show you this that like I don't know if this is any nefarious part or maybe the journal made them change certain things so they can get it published, but they definitely were more bold than their original preprint version here. Uh, so they repeat what I just said that set 50 to 70 percent of individuals who are positive with PCR are likely they're not infectious, they're not sick, right? And uh, they, you know, so a lot of it's the same, but I think here the last line, this is the line they cut out. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, they kept the rest of it. But this line, which I think is the strongest, it reiterates, in conclusion, our results challenge the current po policy of relying on PCR test screening as a base for detecting SARS-CoV-2 infections in the population and for pandemic decision making, including measures such as quarantine, isolation and lockdowns. And that pretty much mirrors what the Lancet study that I talked about in the part one of this video said when they basically said, look, this has real world implications, right? Think about it. It's not just like, oh, I took a PCR test and I couldn't go to the concert because the PCR method's flawed and it said I'm positive, but I'm not really. Okay, I, that sucks. I'm sorry you had to do that. It's stupid. People want to charge you, you know, make you take a test to go to a concert. But no, I'm talking about the fact that people flying home to Canada, for example, and other countries, New Zealand, Australia, I believe, at different points in the last year and a half, have to take a test when they get home that they have to pay for, of course. And then if they test positive, they got a quarantine for freaking two weeks where they're locked in like essentially a quarantine prison. You guys have seen the pictures going around the internet where they show like these, these less than prison meals that people are being fed at these quarantine centers. And that's not voluntary. It's a prison. Okay. So they're basing whether you have to be quarantined forcibly or, you know, any of those things based on the flawed PCR method. So, I mean, 
that's and I, and I, I see a couple comments here. I, I want to reiterate what I reiterated in the last video. I'm not. I don't even care or to really address or talk to the audience that thinks still thinks COVID doesn't exist or is just totally fake or whatever. You know, the questions about purification and isolation are important because something can be not be isolated and purified, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that there might be a reason they don't want us to actually see the you know the the true uh, structure of this. Um, virus, this pathogen, whatever you want to call it. I do believe in terrain theory and germ theory and pathogens. I think they both coexist, just FYI. But as I said in the last video, by focusing on that, you guys totally missed the boat because we have clear evidence here to show people that the their PCR is flawed. So you can take this information in this video if you want to and share it with your friends and family and show them, guys, look, stop living in fear. Stop believing this stuff. You know, Don't stress out. Don't trust it, et cetera because it's not to be trusted. And so you can either sit there and try to convince them that there's no thing, nothing going on when there are people sick. I mean, that's just a fact, like people are sick. You can argue about what they're sick with, but people are sick in different parts of the world. And I know people who have been sick and are sick, et cetera. So, but the point is they're using a flawed test to determine quarantine, to determine whether people are positive. They're telling people they're positive when they're not positive of whatever this is. And then they use that to inflate the case numbers. They use that to increase lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now I want to show you guys one other thing about PCR before I wrap up for today. And this is some of you guys might have seen the CDC has been kind of busy lately. They uh, well, first this one first one's from the FDA and then a the CDC. So but the U.S. government has been kind of busy lately. They've been putting out new announcements about PCR as well. And again, we're a year and a half into this and they're finally acknowledging, well, maybe this thing isn't as trustworthy as we thought. So again, and as pretty clear language. This was all the way back in January, right? But it has been updated uh, just recently, as I'll show you in just a moment. But the first thing says, risk of false results with the curative SARS-CoV-2 test for COVID-19, FDA safety communication. So the FDA back in January, nobody paid attention to this, is alerting patients and healthcare providers of the risks of false results. And they say this particularly negative results, right? That's the way they want to play it. It's like, no, no, it's not false positives. It could be false negatives because you know, they, they don't want to admit that there's cases that are definitely not positive. So that's one part of it, right? They've been talking about the problems with PCR for a while. But let's go and zoom into this little update here on the top blue box. It says the Curative Inc. Curative SARS-CoV-2 assay, which is uh, a particular brand of the um, test. It says the emergency use authorization was revoked at the company's request July 15 because the company is now using different UA authorized tests for testing offered at its laboratories. So basically, they're changing the type of tests that they're using. They're no longer going to be specifically using this PCR test. This is an announcement from the FDA. And now let's talk about the announcement from the CDC. This one, I think, is even more troubling because, and this one is uh, dated July 21st, so a week ago from when I'm recording this. Lab alert, changes to CDC RT-PCR for SARS-CoV-2 testing. This one, I think, is the bigger kind of announcement out of the two that uh, I've just shown. It says, after December 1st, 2021, the CDC will withdraw the request to use the FDA for emergency use authorization of the CDC 2019 COVID test uh, RT-PCR diagnostic panel, the assay first introduced in February 2020 for detection of SARS-CoV-2. What that says is just in the same way they had to apply for emergency use authorization for these shots, these non-vaccines, they had to apply for emergency use authorization for this particular, to use PCR 
as a method for detecting COVID. And they did this in February, 2020, when we were first being told everything went on, right? They said, okay, hey, we need emergency use authorization, which means just like the shots, it was never fully approved because maybe if they actually look deeper, I mean, I, I don't think they didn't know this, but let's pretend they're benign. Maybe if they look closer, they would realize this thing actually is not trustworthy. So why is that important? Well, let's go a little bit lower here. It says, in preparation for the change, the CDC recommends clinical bi uh, laboratories and testing sites that have been using the CDC RT-PCR assay select and begin their transition to another FDA-authorized COVID test. The CDC encourages labs to consider adoption of a multiplex method that can facilitate detection and differentiation of SARS-CoV-2 and influenza viruses. Such assays can facilitate continued testing for both influenza and sars uh, SARS-CoV-2 and can save both time and resources as we head into flu season. Laboratories and testing sites should validate and verify their test within their facility before. So what they're saying there is they're getting rid of the PCR as you know by the end of the year, but they're also saying, oh, labs and uh, you know testing facilities, you need to make sure your test can tell the difference between COVID and influenza, which why would they just now be telling people this? This is what we've been screaming about for the last year that you look at the numbers for flu last year and it's like it didn't even exist because many people have been saying flu was being misdiagnosed or purposely misdiagnosed as SARS-CoV-2, as COVID-19, which further inflated the numbers in, in addition to the uh, PCR method being used. So they're now saying, hey, by the way, you should probably use something that can tell the difference because we didn't. And I bet that's going to make things look a lot different this flu season. Of course, this is midway. Remember, this is this is comes into effect at the end of the year, man, the end of 2021. So flu season, typically, I don't know when it starts, like November, October, maybe it starts to get cold in different parts of the world. And they say flu season starts if you even buy into that whole thing. My point is now maybe the numbers will be completely different which might be playing into their plans for some narrative, right? Like some people have said, well, now that they're giving out the shots, they're cycling down the threshold. So then they can say there's less positive tests in order that they can say, oh, these tests actually, you know, are these, these shots are working because see, we're getting less positive results when really they're just turning down the cycle threshold. So if you think about that, then by the end of this year, the beginning of 2022, they're no longer going to be using this particular PCR test. Doesn't mean they won't be using another one that could be equally problematic. But if they do, if they jump off the PCR and they have actually a reliable test, then they could get to a point where they say, "Oh, the cases are going down again because cases are you know they're not detecting cases." That could be an argument for the vaccines worked right. Like we need to recognize, and this is a whole other video. I don't I want to focus on the PCR, but we need to recognize that the other thing is that the vaccine passports, immunity passports, all this stuff that's coming into, you know, just it's here. It's right in our faces, guys. Countries and cities and states around the world are starting to implement it. And they are determining that they, either by you getting a shot or by taking a PCR test, right? So they want you to go subject yourself to the PCR uh, method, which could bring you a false positive. And then you won't be able to travel or you won't be, you know, even, even though you shouldn't have to do that in the first place. But you know what I'm saying? Like the tests, the vaccine passports is dependent on getting a shot that is problematic already or getting this thing shoved up your nose, which we know is problematic. So there's just a lot here, guys. And I really hope I think this video is long enough now. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. But I think that if this interests you, please rewatch, get caught up. I hope I explain this uh, clear enough. Go watch. Part one of this video, PCR Deception Continues to Crumble, part one, where you can see another uh, study from the Lancet Journal. Go watch the 17, 20-minute long PCR Deception documentary we put out last year. And with that information alone, guys, 
you should feel confident to go debate anybody about this, to discuss this with your family, friends, whoever you need to, whenever they say they're going to take a test or they're going to do this and that, encourage them to watch these videos. If you don't like my presentation, just show them the information directly, explain it in your own words. I don't really care. The point is I chose to do this video today because it's important to get this stuff out there. So let's go ahead now as I wrap up. And I want to say one thing. I want to let you guys, first off, just huge thank you to everybody who has been supporting my work lately. Those who particularly uh, supported my crowdfunding campaign. We launched at the beginning of July. It's a two month campaign, 60 days. And we've already passed our goal. We're at 101%. We were trying to raise $15,000 to fund the rest of the Pyramid of Power documentary series, which is three more seasons, 12 more episodes. Season one, I mean, season, season one premiered in May, season two, hopefully premiering in September. My editors are working hard. I'm working hard on the scripts. And with your contributions here, 221 people in, in 29 days helped make this happen. It's amazing. Now I've already paid them out. I've been able to buy new equipment since my robbery and we're going to step things up and, and just produce this amazing documentary series for you guys. This is still running for 31 more days. If you want to contribute in any way, no pressure, of course, uh, please consider doing so and you can uh, help us. You know, Any more money we have after this is just going to go to making the documentary that much better. Uh, so yeah, I really just want to say thanks to everybody who who contributed to that and those who might still contribute. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to just go deeper with this documentary series and show you guys uh, where I'm headed. The last note I want to say is just if you are following on Facebook, if you're watching this later on any of the mainstream platforms, if you see me share this on Twitter, I want to encourage you guys to join me on Telegram. Uh, Telegram is not a perfect platform. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it's, it's perfectly encrypted or it, you should put all your eggs in that basket or whatever, but it is a better platform than Facebook. It is a better platform than Twitter. It is a better platform than a lot of them. And I'm just going to show you guys on screen here real quick, my, um, Telegram channel that I have. I have Derek Bros's daily news. We've got over 5,000 subscribers here. If you want to get my work and my thoughts, cause I share way more than I do anywhere else on Telegram. Maybe that's a bad thing, but I share, you know, the music I'm listening to while I'm writing the next chapter of the pyramid of power. I share, um, articles that I think are important, but that I'm not going to make a video on or write an article about. I share lots of information. I share this, including this picture. I hope you guys can see that. Um, let me see. Yeah. Can you see that? It's a picture of me and James Corbett. And I have an interview coming out with James next week. It is the next edition of the, the, uh, activation podcast. And I'm really excited about that. So those are the kind of things you get. You get some, you get more of a behind the scenes, I guess, into my work. If that's not something that interests you, cool, no stress. But I just want to say I'm getting fact check on Facebook. I'm getting banned on Twitter. I'm, you know, I've already been deleted off YouTube. People on Telegram, it's up to them if they want to mute my notifications. Nobody's stopping that. The other thing is you can sign up for my text list on my website. So if you appreciate my work, please consider contributing in one way or another, including sharing, sharing this information because I think it's important. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow or Thursday with a new report. And until next time, remember, you're powerful, you're beautiful, and you're free. Peace. This is Derek Bros. Derek Bros. This is Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance. I'm here in Standing Rock. That man is wanted in five different countries, Chile, Argentina, Brazil. We've been fighting a long time. We've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. Don't you fucking tease that horse! You are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. We've all stay alive. You have no idea how important.